not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, um, for they are already white for harvest. They are already white for harvest. Do you not say there are four months and then the harvest? I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, uh, for they are already white for harvest. There is something about being in a community that sometimes can grow still because we do not have a vision for the future. And Jesus looks at the disciples they are more concerned by the woman he is talking to than what God wants to do in this woman. This is a story of the woman at the well. And so they are wondering if Jesus is hungry. They are wondering if he needs more bread. And they are asking themselves why Jesus is talking to a woman who seems out of place. And it is at that moment Jesus says these words that are actually the words for where we are as a family, where they are the words uh, of our season to lift up our eyes and to see that the fields are white with the harvest. As long as their eyes looked inward and downward, they were going to be fighting about who is the greatest. They were going to fight about who is supposed to be on the right side of Jesus instead of concerning themselves with the work ahead of them. And so Jesus challenges them and tells them, lift up your eyes and look to the harvest. Amen. Amen. And for every church and for every believer, there comes a time as God has dealt with you that you must lift up your eyes and connect with the harvest and see what God is doing so you can also do something about it. And for us as a church family, we are in that season where God is telling us, I would want you to lift up your eyes. And so my prayer is that our eyes, the eyes of our hearts will be lifted that we may see the harvest. This is a story given about a man who went with his son to get um, sweet potato. Now, sweet potato, for those who do not know, the superstition. Superstition. Someone said, I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little bit stitious. There's <laughs> a superstition about uh, sweet potatoes. The idea is if two people look at it, it becomes small or even disappears. No, some of you came from town, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But the idea was if you have a, uh, if you see one of the vines, sweet potato vine, only one person at a time could dig it and look into it. Otherwise, it will disappear. And so there is this father and this son who went to dig for sweet potatoes. And when they were in the process of that, the son stood afar so he doesn't look into it, so he doesn't disappear. And the father started digging and they said, son, this is a very big sweet potato. And the son saw an animal charging at them from afar. And he said, daddy, and the son said, I know it is very big. He said, Daddy, there's something. I know it is very big. He said, Daddy, lift up your eyes. He said, I can't lift up my eyes. It might disappear. The sweet potato is very big. And at the end, the son ran away and left the dad to die because he could not lift up his eyes because of the sweet potato. And brethren, there is a way we can be so concerned by where we are. There is a way we can be so concerned 
by what we are doing, we are unable to see what is around us and what God has called us for. And so Jesus tells them, lift up your eyes. They are more concerned with theology. They are more concerned with associations. They are more concerned with outlook, with how the optics. They are more concerned with how it looks on their ministry but than what Jesus is here to do. Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Then Jesus says, as my father sent me, so said I you. And so there are times we are more concerned with optics, with how people view us, than really with the agenda of heaven. There are many times we are more concerned with how our church looks, or how our church sounds, how people view us out there, than really the agenda of God on earth. And the season that we are in, we are really lifting up our eyes to connect with the harvest. And there are three ways that we must uh, address the issue of outreach. There are three dimensions of being uh, involved in the activity of outreach. And Luke 15 talks about this in detail. It talks about the lost coin. Luke 15, let's go there. Luke chapter 15. From verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God, of one sinner who repents. So there are three dimensions to outreach. The first dimension is when you lose the coin in the house. When you lose the coin in the house. How many times do we have a brother who was attending church and all of a sudden he just disappears within the cracks? How many times we have someone with a testimony and all of a sudden that testimony is snuffed out and nobody asked what happened to that sister we used to see. And so the coin is lost in the house. The coin is lost in the church family. The coin is lost in your family. The coin is lost at your workplace. The coin is lost in your immediate vicinity. And Jesus says, this is what the woman did. She lit a lamp. And then she went down on her knees and swept and searched carefully until she found it. Now, what does a lamp represent? Matthew 5, Jesus says that you are the lamp of the world. You are the light of the world and nobody lights a lamp and covers it under a bushel. And so he says, so you, so likewise do. Let your light so shine before men that they may see the works you do, that you do them in the name of your Father. The idea is, is our own lives, we must begin to be careful how we present Jesus in our closest vicinity. The people who see us, they must see that the works we do, we do in the name of the Father. The people closest to you, you cannot arrange a crusade for them. You cannot have a revival meeting for your brother, for your sister. You cannot have a revival meeting for your husband. You cannot have a revival meeting for your auntie. You cannot have a revival meeting for your boss. You cannot even tell me to come and preach to them. Because the best preacher is you. Not just that, it is the preaching that does not involve words. It is the kind of preaching that they must see that you have another supervisor. You are not just working when people are watching you. You are working as if you have another master whom you are answerable to. And so the people closest to us, when it comes to the lost coin, how we behave 
is more important than any crusade that any outreach ministry ever in the world. And so he said the woman lit up her lamp. The other thing, she began sweeping. There must be things we remove that hinder people from seeing Christ also in our areas. Hallelujah. You may not have a problem listening to what am I going to use? Huh? Which secular musician do you use? I'm trying to find and I know you are keeping quiet and you know them. Huh? You may not have a problem listening to secular music but could that be that that, that thing is what is hindering one who is closest to you from coming to the Lord. Amen. Okay. <laughs> I'm not telling you secular music will take you to hell. Although that's not how we operate here. We don't operate in terms of hell and heaven. It is the will of the Father. We want to do the will of the Father. There are things in our lives, the people that are around us, we may need to do a little sweeping so they can, we can find them where they are. We may need to go on our knees and search carefully the things that have hurt them, the things that have wounded them, the things that have turned them off from Christ, from the church, from the congregation of brethren. I know, I know they are sensitive. But is there an obligation for us? If this is how the kingdom of God is, can we sweep? Can we sweep? For the lost coin. What can you change about your behavior? David says, I have made a covenant with my tongue. I will hold my tongue in the presence of the wicked man. What is he saying? I might say something that actually betrays my generation. Psalms 73. Let me show you something. Psalm 73. 73 or 74, one of them. Alright, we will do this. I know you've done this before, but we'll go, we'll go through it real quick. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, such as our pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are no, they are, they are, for there are no pangs in their death, they are, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves that their necklace balance covers them like a garment. Their eyes burrow with abundance. They have more than they could wish. This is David. Well, it's Asaph who was writing for David. And he is saying, I've looked at the evil people. And they seem to be doing pretty good. Yeah? They seem, everything they touch becomes gold. And they are atheists. And so he says, I almost stumbled when I saw this. Because they shout, they scream, they, they beat their chest. And even when they die, they die asleep. Well, it seems like we are always being chased around. He says, they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here and waters of a cup, of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? I don't know if you ever heard people say that. There's someone, uh, Pastor Eric had gone somewhere and they say, let us pray. He said, um, I don't know that kind of stuff. Because used another word instead of stuff. I don't believe in God. 
uh, every time we have prayed, nothing ever happened. And so he says, these are those kind of people. They say, does the Almighty even know? Does he care? I live by my, I'm, I'm self-made. And you're thinking, let me move from you before lightning strikes. You wait, you wait, and lightning doesn't strike them. And David said, I've waited for them to die, and they don't die. <laughs> Amen. I know you probably have been there. He said, God will show him. And then God never shows him. <laughs> he says, um, <laughs> Behold, these, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in a vein and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Verse 15, I want you to know what he says. If I had spoken thus, if I had said, I will say that. He said, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your, your children. What he is saying, there are things I go through and I have to mark my words for what I say because there's a whole generation that is waiting to see how I react when I go through hard times. Amen. There are people who are waiting to hear my testimony even when I have lost a job. There are people waiting to see whether I'm only praising him when things are going right. There are people who are waiting to see whether when I say love your enemies, I mean in abstract or I can actually love an enemy. And so David said, if I had spoken thus, I would have been untrue. Actually, some versions say, I would have been unfaithful to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this was too painful until I went to the sanctuary of God and then understood the end. And, and all of that, I know we have spoken about it. But there is something about your tongue that must be cleansed because if you're going to reach people around you, what you say matters. Amen. People are watching. And they are receiving the gospel more by what you do than what you say. How you react to situations, how you, be, uh, you reflect the hope that is in you is very, very important in reaching the lost coin. Because the lost coin is in the house. There are things you must start fixing. Because there's a lost coin all around us. Number two, I'm, I'm having to teach twice, two, th two things on this uh, service, because last Sunday I taught on the other services. Number two, there is a lost coin, and then there's a lost sheep. The lost sheep. Luke 15, verse 1. This is. The tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus and to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus tells them the parable of the sheep. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I said to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need now repentance. Now that's, that's pretty eye-opening. If we are 99 here, we are outnumbered. If we are all not needing repentance, the joy in the heaven over us is outnumbered by the one sinner who comes and receives Christ.
Two sinners, 198. Three sinners, 397. Four sinners, 196. You get the point. But what do we have today? When we say we are preaching the gospel, it's pretty much taking from this room and moving them over to this room. And we call them another name. Say they were Baptist. Now we move them over here. We call them your Methodist. And so the heart of heaven is to go after the one. When it comes to the coin, you don't have to leave. But the rule of the ship is that one, you have to leave. You have to go. Number two, you have to be prepared for the wild animals. Number three, you have to be prepared to hear the cry of the lost. Let me say that again. The church must be willing to go out there and connect with the lost sheep. Collect, connect and collect the lost sheep. The church must be willing to face whatever barrels and whatever darkness that is out there to rescue one. Jesus left his angels. Jesus left all his kingdom and stepped into the darkness. We just sang, you came from heaven to earth to show us the way. There is a way, Jesus, in Matthew 13, the Bible says that the kingdom is like a man who found a treasure in a land and sold everything he had and came and purchased that land. God bankrupted heaven to come and purchase you. And therefore, not only must be willing to step out, we must be willing to uh, embrace darkness and we must be willing to hear. How many people here are on Facebook and people post things there and you tell yourself, this could be a cry for help. And how many of us actually do anything? Because the lost sheep has three characteristics. The lost sheep is scared, is tired, and hungry. The lost sheep is scared and tired and hungry. They may not even be able to shout and scream and bleat as they were doing in the, uh, in the first place. The lost sheep there were a group of men that were sent uh, from a place uh, where they would meet to drink. And these men came to me around 2005. And they said, we would want you to come and have fellowship where we meet to drink. And that did not make sense to me back then. First of all, I was not even a pastor. I was not even a worship leader. I was simply uh, hanging out with the teenagers, you know, Pastor Eric and them, when they were teenagers. But they said, we would want you to come and have fellowship here. And one man among them said, why are you guys bothering Pastor? Well, they said, why are you bothering him? Don't you know where he goes to church? You can go find him. And one man said, well, we are here drinking. And you are there worshiping, and nobody is here to connect us. And there is a problem. We are here singing the same songs all of us know. And they are out there lost, asking for anyone who can come and uh, rescue them. And we are saying, God, bring people to church. And God saying, we have to go. So I was young and not very smart. Yeah? And so what I did, I presented the idea to another committee of church people who are older than me and I told them there is a cry that we should go and have fellowship with them. And I was told we'll pray about it and then we'll decide. Do you think it was ever done? of the three things. You have to go. You have 
have to be ready to fight darkness and you must be very keen and sensitive to the cry of the sheep. Is a lady who hung herself. Hung, hung, hung. One of them. She was a YouTube star. And two weeks before, she said that her grandfather died and life had no meaning. And nobody ever reached out and said, can we talk? Are you able to hear the cry of the lost sheep? Are you sensitive enough to say, let me stop and see why he would say that? Let me find out what's wrong with them. So we have the soul, we have God, and we have you. Your prayer in this season should consist of those three things. Knowing the value of a soul. What is the value of a soul? What is the value of one human being? White, black, Asian, whatever. You see, it's very easy to institutionalize people and say they are all black or they are all white or Chinese do this. There's nothing like that. There's no all, there's nothing like all Chinese do. There's nothing like all white people do. There's nothing like all Kenyans do. There's nothing we all do the same. Amen. You can say all white people do this. Someone who was telling me, I can't stand black people. I said, you know I'm black. He said, no, not you, the others. <laughs> and that's a, that's a problem. Once we get to the individual, what is the worth of that one soul? You see, we can institutionalize and say all the white people or say all the black people or all the Latinos. Who is going to reach them? No, I'm not saying you reach a people. I'm saying, what is the worth of a soul? Because the disciples would come to Jesus and tell him, you know, Jesus is very busy. Stop bothering him with one person. And Jesus would say, I came for that one. And so if Jesus says it is actually more profitable to live than 99, there's a time I used to go a lot to Bessemer to preach. And uh, uh, when I would go there one day, God spoke to me at night and said, I don't want you to quit church. And I said, who said I was going to quit church? He said, I know what you're thinking. And so we had to sit down and say, uh, because in my heart, I was really considering leaving preaching. You know, it says you leave the 99 and go. And he said, I don't want you to do that. Because at some point, you must understand. And said, I want you to teach them also to have your heart so they can also go. Brethren, if Jesus could leave everything for you, what are you willing to pay for one more? What is the cost? You must, because I don't want you to start saying, I want the passion for souls. Or feel guilty because you don't have it right now. That used to bother me a lot. I would see Ben Hinn, he is on fire for God. I would see my dad, he is willing to go the whole night and uh, to go for crusades and outreach ministries. And I'm thinking, why am I so cold? <laughs> because I really wanted the same fire, but there is none. And so, you know, and so we can do this mechanically, or we can ask God to open to, open to us and reveal to us the value for one soul. Number two, we must know the heart of God. If there's a prayer, ask God, I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. I want to know what causes you, what caused you first to send Jesus, your only son, to die, and what causes you to keep sending preachers, and what is your heart towards this one person? Let's say my brother and I were walking down, uh, downtown, and this man kept walk, came walking towards us and he started talking to us and he was telling us these things that really didn't make sense 
And eventually he takes off his shoes and he uh, shows us his toe. And he says, I hit my toe and the toe was blue, it had been bruised. And he said, I don't have socks, I don't have shoes. I've not taken uh, a shower. And there's a little bit graphic, he said, I don't have underwear. I use uh, toilet paper to wipe myself and that's it. And I said, right now, we could either tell him, God bless you, you know, you're distracting us. Or we could actually minister to him. Because we really were not there for ministry. But what is the heart of God for these people? What is the heart of God for this person? For this person. Let me use the word person. What is the heart of God for this person? As a church, as a family, what is the heart of God for one soul? Number three, what is my role? The prayer should be, show me the cost of a soul. Show me your heart. And because you can know the heart, the cost of a soul, but you don't know the heart of God, and you just do it out of what you think you should do. Plus now, the next thing, show me my role. Let me know my role in this. Because one, the church can stand aloof and say, well, the Holy Spirit will, will save them. Jesus told us to go. If you could send the Holy Spirit, he would have sent the Holy Spirit. But he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the outermost. There is my role in this. Now it may not be knocking on doors. Pastor Eric and I and our brother called Dishu, we had gone somewhere in Bibb County preaching. And we knocked on the door, and the house really looked bad. And all of a sudden, three dogs came out. <laughs> now, brethren, whether you are saved and anointed, and you know, a big dog is a big dog, and it does not know you. And so we ran. <laughs> now, uh, some of these things is good to talk first. Because this was younger than us, and more athletic, he ran, got into the car, and locked the doors. <laughs> Pastor Eric jumped on the hood of the car, and I was left there negotiating with the doors. <laughs> Had to rethink our friendship at that moment. But the idea is this. There is a cost to be paid. There is my role. And eventually that man came out, and he said, nobody ever comes to my house. He said, but there is a church there. Well, they have never invited me. And we shared Jesus with him. The other day I passed by there and I found the house was gone and I asked what happened here. He said the man passed away a year ago. What is the worth of a soul? What is my role in this? What is my role in this? It's a man who wrote me on Facebook. He's actually from Birmingham. He said, I feel lost and I need to come home. He didn't say I want to come to church. He said, I want to come home. The sheep out there, they are lost, they are scared, they are scared, they are hungry, they are tired. They're looking for someone who is willing to go and say, can we hang out for a day? Tell me about your life. There are people today who are misbehaving, not because they are, you know, they are rebellious, but because they are lost. What is my role in this? You may not be able to go and knock on doors and run from dogs. That may not be your ministry. But what can you do? What is your role in reaching to the lost? Now, two things will be needed in outreach. Wisdom and courage. Wisdom and courage. The Bible says that soul winners are wise. I forgot that verse. Where it is? Somewhere in Proverbs. Soul winners are wise. One day uh, we were driving around preaching and we decided that uh, First Avenue, um, Eastlake, is too scary 
So what we are going to do, you won't get out of the car. We will be cruising, and when we find someone, we preach to them. Now, for you who may not know, that is a really, really unsmart way of doing things. Because there's a reason it's called drive-by shooting. Huh? And so we would go and slow down and lower our windows. And people would run away. So I'm thinking, are we doing this wrong? Until one guy came and said, you guys will be shot. What are you doing? He said, we are preaching Jesus. Say, get out of the car. And so one thing that will be needed is wisdom. There's a place called Getseri in Oporto, Madrid, uh, on the op opposite side. And we went there. That's one place you really should go. Well, <laughs> let me rephrase that. That's one place if you're really called, you should go. <laughs> because you get into that place and it's pure darkness. I've never really ever in my life gotten into a place where darkness just... And uh, I, when we went there, we were told, you park your car at the gate. And you better uh, be ready to lose it. Because that car may be broken into and gone. Or you can drive and you can be shot. Or you can walk and you can be shot. I didn't know what I was supposed to do at that point. <laughs> because if you drive, they think you are a drug dealer. If you walk, they think you are a drug dealer. If you're too dressed, they think you are a cop. If you're not dressed as good, they think you're another drug dealer coming to take their market. So, so winners are wise. When we started, we would go and say, uh, God loves you. And then they would start arguing. Most of these people know the Bible. And then we realized, stop arguing. Just come with the word. You would come and say, this is what I see God doing in your life. This is what I see God doing. By the way, you have this. And so when we would operate with the word of knowledge, all those things were broken down. And only there is a lady we met in Bessemer and we told her, uh, I see you mourning, I see you grieving and you're really not finished. And she said, yeah, I was actually about to run away from you. But my, my, my best friend actually just got hit by a train a week ago. And I feel like I'm lost. And so from there, they receive the gospel. There's a part of this that cannot be mechanical at all. That we must employ the power of the Holy Spirit. But we must become wise in the way we do things. And so within the next several months, we will be equipping ourselves in how to do outreach. And I'm not saying all of us will be knocking on doors. But if your business, if your best work you can do is greet people at the church door, then we will equip you with what can be done. If you can start a small group, we'll have you start a small group. But the idea is this. We have courage and we have wisdom. No one ever approaches darkness without courage. You cannot reach people with the love of God without courage. And our business simply is to connect people with God. That's our one vision. Reconnect people with God. says that he has uh, reconciled us to him. Uh, for 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. 
these are the core values. This is where we find uh, how to behave. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of fire and brimstone, not the ministry of scaring people, not the ministry of reminding people about hell, but the ministry of reconciliation. What is the worth of one soul? Bible says that you have hidden eternity in the heart of men. For every soul out there, God has put eternity in them. Let me say this, and let me be very clear. Hell was not designed for men. Hell was not designed for men. There is no person whom God created so they can be forever condemned. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish. God is not willing that anyone should perish. So what is the value of that one soul? That heaven the will of heaven is that they may have eternal life. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which looks like this. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not reconciling Christians, but reconciling the world. Now, we have a group of Christians who say that the world is going to hell in a basket and who prophesy there's going to be an earthquake, there's going to be a fire, God hates you, God is angry with you. That is not the ministry that Jesus came to do. God is not mad with anyone in the world because all his anger was poured on Jesus. Some of you have not been very good Christians, God is not mad at you. That's a good place to say amen. <laughs> Some of you have not forgiven the people you should forgive. Some of you may have lied when you shouldn't be lying. Some of you, your thoughts are really not that pure. He ain't mad at you. Amen? Because he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And the Bible says, he is not counting their sins against them. He is not counting their sins against them. There's someone who, who said, uh, in 2005 when there was Katrina, someone said, a preacher actually, he said, God is punishing New Orleans because of, um, I think they had a parade. A homosexual parade or the Mardi Gras, whatever. And my heart said that is wrong because God is not counting their sins against them. Jesus did not die for Christians, Jesus died for the world. For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved the good, but for God so loved the world. And that is important even for you because most of the times when things start going wrong, we start looking at ourselves and say, this is why this is happening. God has left me. God is angry at me. And at that point, you start giving the devil uh, permission to mess up your life. He is not counting their sins against them and has committed to us, has committed to me and you. Which word? The word of reconciliation the word of reconciliation now reconciliation has two meanings when it becomes a lawyer and uh, a criminal when you reconcile you are causing this person to come and be in good terms with another person according to the law it is bringing terms together according to an accountant a reconciler is the one who makes the debt and, uh, and the income to come to the same place. It's when the expenses and the income 
are the same. You reconcile. And so not only do we need to reconcile them to be in good terms with God, we need to reconcile them so that their opinion of themselves is the same as God's opinion of them. Amen. Gideon, God calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. Gideon says, I'm a coward. There's something wrong. And so there is needed for believers to bring a reconciliation of those two. So that what God thinks of you may be the same way you think of yourself. When you say, I am a mess, when you say, I am irresponsible, when you say, I am this, is that what God says about you? And so you need to come to the place where you are reconciled that what you say about yourself is what God says about you. Let the weak say, I am strong. What they are doing, they are being told, I need you not to look at yourself, but to have the opinion of God so you do not have a thought about yourself that God doesn't have about you. And there are many people in the world who think that there is no hope for them. There are many people in the world whose thought about themselves is wrong. And so we are not just making friends between them and God. We are causing what they think about themselves to be at par with what God says. The lost sheep. The lost sheep and the lost coin. How to conclude them? Brethren, there is a call for us as a family in spirit and in our hearts to lift up our eyes and to see. This is what happens. And I, I want to prepare you for this. Whenever God starts doing this, you will start seeing a lot of people coming to you for help with things you cannot possibly solve. You will start being aware of many people who are lost or many people who are the lost coin. You will start being aware of what is amiss amongst us and around us and in the world. Before you act, ask for wisdom, ask for courage, and then ask God to show you your role and how you should play it out. Because they are there and we have a role to play. This morning I quoted a man called Walt Whitman. He's a poet, a US poet. And he was talking about his his purpose in life. He was he had a poem called Omi, and he was asking, What is my role in the world? And at some point he asked a question: What shall become of Omi? What is my role? And there's an answer he gives. He says, this is the answer, that you are alive, that life is a reality, and that there is destiny. And then he says that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. The powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. And this is the thing. The powerful play of the kingdom of God goes on and you may contribute a verse. You may contribute a verse. I'll ask you just to close your eyes. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. The same streets that had the Samaritan woman are the same street that had Zacchaeus, are the same street, Lord, that had the woman of the issue of blood, that had Bartimaeus and many others. And they were right there crying for help with no solution. And yet when Jesus passed by, those that had been left out by the church. He was able to recognize 
and answer their cry. I ask that for us as a body, you may make us aware of your heart, you may give us value for souls, and that we may be acutely aware of the cries for help around us. And that even when we feel helpless, we may know that there is a God who, with whom nothing is impossible. And so instead of being introspective and shying away, we may have the answer that gold and silver have I not, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Make us aware that we have the answers that the world seeks. Make us aware that we have the hope that the world so desperately looks for. That we may stand in our generation and shout that Jesus is the answer. Let us, as Assisi, Francis of Assisi said, be instrument of peace where there is war. Let us be instruments of grace. Let us be instruments that speak light into darkness. You want to stand and be counted in our generation. I pray over this family that our eyes be lifted up, that we may see the harvest. We may see the harvest. Be magnified, O Lord, and be lifted up. Precious name Jesus, we pray and believe. Amen. 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 I don't know if uh, the family of.